The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. You may remember, I remember as a kid, I'd get these, often in the cereal boxes even, these little cards that had an image on it that looked like a bunch of random dots, a random pattern. I had to look up what they were called. I never knew the name of them. They're actually called auto stereograms. And they look like a random pattern, random dot, and you stick it up to your face, and all of a sudden as you pull it away and your eyes focus in just the right way, what seems like just a, a colorful, unique-looking pattern all of a sudden presents an image, a shark or something like that that's 3D, and it's offset from the image itself. I thought about those little cards and images when I, when I got to the end of this week of studying through the passage that we're reading through this morning. I find often that the Word of God, especially as I'm reading the Word of God and studying a passage and seeking to pray to the Lord and meditate upon it and what the Lord would have me to deliver to you in a sermon based upon the text that we're studying, it's often like one of those, one of those cards, one of those audio, auto stereograms that at first glance, um, it, it looks beautiful. At first glance, there's some seeming pattern to it, but, but really don't see an image rising out of it. And as you focus upon it, as you pray through the Word of God, as you meditate upon it, as you read other verses in light of it, as you read commentaries, as you you, you let the Spirit of God work through the passage to, to, to apply it to your heart and to your life, and even thinking of our lives and our day and age, what often I find is just like that image arises, a 3D image from that 2D image, all of a sudden the Word of God speaks in a way where what is 2D in a way becomes 3D. What, what often many could look at and not see much out of, all of a sudden becomes a beautiful, powerful word that speaks into our hearts and into our lives. As I began reading this passage and thinking of a sermon title even for this passage, what I initially saw was the simple commands in verse 7 that, that really set before us what is persistent praying, what is persistent prayer, asking and seeking and knocking. The title even that I gave originally, The Power of Persistent Prayer. There's some simple points, and we're going to walk through these three points. But as I dove deeper later on in the week and studying and praying through, I became aware, I came to see this passage that we're about to read has a lot more to do with our lives than just praying. It really holds more than just the secrets to persistent prayer. It really holds the secret to, to a powerful life, to powerful living, to living in light of, of your prayer, to what it means to, to pray rightly, and then in reflection and really even flowing out of that right prayer life, living a life that is glorifying to God, that loves God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also is exalting to God in the way that we live before others and in, in the way that we treat one another and loving our neighbor even as ourselves. As we'll see, this passage concludes with even uh, the, the golden rule. Treat others as you would desire to be treated. And so I want to give you a new title if you scratch out your title. Ask, Seek, and Knock, The Power of Prayerful Living. And not just the power of persistent prayer, but here what we find this morning is the power of prayerful living. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. We'll read to verse 12. Ask, 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. First, notice Jesus simply says, we are to ask. We've already looked in the Sermon on the Mount on Jesus' teaching a few verses back in the last chapter where Jesus commands that, he, he says, when you pray, don't pray as the hypocrites. He's assuming that, that believers, his followers, his disciples will be people of prayer. People who turn to God, not with empty words and vain babblings and long repetitions, but they turn to God knowing that our God is our Father in heaven who knows our needs even before we ask them. And then he gives us that great model prayer that we will even uh, refer to in a, in a moment. That, that believers are supposed to be a praying people. That you, Christian, are supposed to be a type of person that is in a, a consistent perpetual communication with God, that you ask God for your every need, that you ask God for guidance in every decision, that you even ask God not only for the needs, but even the, the desires and the luxuries of life, that, that you're not seeking those apart from God, that God can and often does, especially in our culture, how much we are so blessed with, that we never think we get all of these good things apart from God's sovereign hand of a blessing and providential care upon us, as if we've earned it, as if we've attained it, as if God is out of the picture in the midst of it all. No, the Christian lives every moment of their life in, in humility, in dependence upon God. That is what praying does. That is what asking God reminds us and even gives evidence of in our lives, that we are humbled before God and that we are dependent upon God. We're, we're humbled when we ask God because we realize we're not God. And we're exemplifying, demonstrating our dependence upon God that we know every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, the Father above, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow due to turning, that we need Him every moment, that we are not God, but we need God. It's as simple as my own children sitting over there, seven and five, and got a three-year-old girl also in nursery, thank the Lord, and pray for the nursery workers this morning. They ask me, Dad, can we go to Grandma's? Dad, can we go to Mamma's? I better include both Grandma and Mamma. They ask me why, because I'm the authority. They show their humility in the sense of my being their father and their, their, their um, turning to me as an authority figure by asking. We do the same with God. They show their dependence upon me when they say, Dad, can, can I have a snack? Dad, can, I, can, can you get me a new pair of shoes? Dad, can you, 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 can you? Those of you who have children know what I'm talking about there. It is nonstop. And you know as, as tiresome and as, as burdensome to us as that might be and can be, you know that delights the heart of God. 
When we as His children turn to Him and ask of Him uh, everything in our life, from the simple things to the most profound things, from the the littlest to the, the greatest that we are seeking, turning to God, asking God for everything that we need, everything that we come across in our own lives. James says in James 4 and verse 2, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. Imagine if God were to give you everything you prayed for this week. Well, this week just began. Last week. Imagine if God gave you everything that you prayed for. In this past past week. What would you have this morning? Would you have His will be done? Would you have His name exalted? Would you have His kingdom come? Would you have the salvation of friends and family? Would you have the salvation of neighbors and co-workers? Would you have all of your needs provided for and taken care of? Would you have an overabundance of blessings whereby you could be a blessing to those around you? If God really gave to you, think about it for a moment, practically, honestly. If God gave you everything you prayed for in the past week, what would you have? Truth be told, we do not pray as we ought. Seldom few of us pray as we ought to. God says, step one, ask. Ask, he says, and it will be given to you. Second, as you ask, notice the progression in these steps, that, that it's not you ask and then seek and then not. There's, there's even a, a progression of, of action building up here. As you are asking, what does he say? Seek. Seek and you will find. To seek means to search for something. Think of seeking after a a lost treasure, for instance. You're longing for it. You're setting your heart after it. You're desiring it above all things. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus has already said these words just a, a few moments ago in this great teaching he's giving on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What? And all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about the food you need and the clothes on your back, all this materialistic stuff. And Jesus says, hey, if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, if you follow after the Lord and His glory and the exaltation of His name, um, if you follow after uh, His kingdom, if you seek His righteousness, if you're seeking to follow and obey Him, knowing His ways are, are best for your life, God says, don't worry about your needs. God says, I've got this. I'll take care of my children who are following after me. Even in your praying and your asking, you ought to be seeking God first. We look back to the, the, the prayer that God gave, that Jesus gave, this prayer that we're to model, to emulate. And we talked about it a number of weeks ago. How does it begin? Our Father who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Exalted be your name. The, the number one request we ought to make is really a seeking of God. That His name be exalted. That His name be glorified through us and in us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And after we've sought God, then He mentions our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a seeking after God that we are called to, to always be about Him. James 4 and verse 3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. 
But you're not seeking God in what you're asking. You're seeking to build your own name and exalt your own name, to build your own little kingdom, not the kingdom of God. And, and you ask, James says, and you don't have an answer. You don't receive because you're asking amiss. You're asking selfishly. Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14. Good verse, thinking of all that's going on in Israel right now. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. To humble oneself, to pray, and then to seek God, to seek God's face above everything. What, what is your heart set upon this morning? Where is your heart? Where's your treasure? There, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What is it this morning that you think if you only had, that would make you happy? So many people serve the God of mammon, and they're slaves to the God of mammon, the God of, of money. They're seeking materialistic things, and they're thinking that's where they're, they're, they will find true happiness and true security, true fulfillment. Not seeking God. Seek. Seek God. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. In your asking, seek. Now, thirdly, as you seek, what does he say next? Knock, and it will be open to you. Knocking brings about an action to your asking and seeking. Um, knocking is a, it's a, an action. It's a, a movement that is, that is preceded by your asking and your seeking is even leading you to your, your knocking. You knock to gain entrance into a locked door. Uh, Jesus is even sh- showing in this imagery that sometimes the will of God does seem like there's a closed door in your face. And you have to, as you're asking God and, and seeking God, there's a, a time to knock on the door. To knock and say, God, is this what you're going to open? Knocking. I'm, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. You seek to gain entry into a, a locked door. You also seek to gain permission uh, to enter into an open door, an unlocked door. Unless you barge into somewhere you ought not to be. And it's good before you open the door that seemingly is unlocked to, to knock upon the door. God, is this where you want me to go? Is this really what you want me to do? I'm, I'm knocking, I'm seeking you as I'm asking you and seeking you. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking your blessing and your guidance, your direction. You knock to get attention. And the knock, as I even just did upon this pulpit, it makes people who are looking down look up all of a sudden. It, it garnishes the attention and, and gives even the, the, the persistence in a way to your, your praying. Trent had an awesome knock-knock joke the other day. I say awesome loosely. Hudson got a little knock-knock book for knock-knock jokes, and I've been hearing, like, worse than dad jokes, knock-knock joke after knock-knock joke after knock-knock joke. And so Trent came up with his own the other day, and he, he said, hey, 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 knock-knock. And I go, who's there? Knock-knock. Who's there? Knock-knock. Who's there, Trent? Knock-knock. Trent, who's there? Knock-knock. He goes, Dad, knock-knock is there. <laughs> it, it, hilarious to him. And I'm thinking, all right, you've got a long way to go before you're going to be a comedian someday. But, but you know what my mind really thought of is the parable of Luke chapter 11 
and the, the friend that comes knocking on the door at night at midnight, and, and Jesus says, because of the persistence of his knocking, the, the, the man gets up out of bed and meets his need, gives him what he needs, not necessarily because of his love for the guy or his care or concern for the need, but why? Because of, in a way, the, the persistence of the knocking. He's teaching that there is a persistence in our asking and in our seeking of God that we don't just do it once and give up. There's a perpetual continuation, even in the Greek words and the way that the verbs are formed, that doesn't mean you do it once and then quit. It's a continual life of asking and asking and asking daily in communion, communication with God, of seeking, of seeking, of seeking, of knocking, of knocking, of knocking. This is the sort of prayer life, the sort of even living out of that prayer life that God desires of us. And there's a great promise in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now if I ended the message there, I would imagine I'd have some questions. I myself, as I prayed over and studied this passage this past week, had a question in light of that promise. What about when you ask and it seems like you haven't received? What about when you're seeking, desperately seeking, and it seems like you you haven't found it? What about when you're knocking and knocking and knocking and the door remains closed? What do you do when it seems like God isn't answering? I heard the story of a woman who was proclaiming to be an atheist. And as Pastor talked with her further, come to find out her story was many years ago she was a believer. And a number of years ago, her husband got diagnosed with cancer. And they were attending a church that was a charismatic-like church, a very um, word of faith, sort of name-it-and-claim-it type um, teaching that they embraced. And she said she prayed... She prayed with every ounce of belief that God would heal her husband. And she said her church prayed and prayed and prayed. And she called for the elders of the church to come pray over her husband. And they did so. And the preacher of the church, you know, made public proclamations of professions week after week. God will heal. God has died upon the cross to give us spiritual life, but to also heal us physically. And we must believe. All you have to do is believe. If you believe, you will get healing. And when he died, she went to the pastor and said, you know, what, what, why, what, why did God not heal? And all the pastor could say was, well, maybe your faith must not have been strong enough. Or, or you know, maybe there was there unconfessed sin in your life. Maybe, maybe there's unconfessed sin. Or, you know what, he even got to the point of questioning, maybe, maybe we don't know that your husband's heart. He, he might have not really even been a child. And it left her so, as she was grieving, even in great grief, the loss of her husband and confused even with God under all that was going on, left her at a place where she said, no, I've, I believed and we did everything we were supposed to do and yet my husband still died. God must not be real. Is that the response that we have that we are called to when we pray, we ask, we seek, we knock, we read the promise of God that if we ask, we'll 
he'll, we'll receive and we, we seek, we'll find, and we knock, it'll be opened. Is that the end of life under the sun when we pray and things don't go as we think they ought to go? No. No. Verse 9. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What Jesus is calling us to here is yes to ask, yes to seek, yes to knock, but as we knock, we must trust. We have to understand God is God, and God is good, and God will do what is good, even when we don't understand it, even when we don't see it unfolding, as we think it ought to unfold, as we think it ought to happen. Your heavenly Father is better than your earthly father. Jesus is saying here, He He knows what to give to you. He will not give to you a rock when you need bread. And He will not give to you a serpent when you need a fish. Now, this doesn't exactly say this, but we infer in the imagery here, knowing our finite ability, that we we often seek things that we really don't want, that we really don't need if we saw the big picture. (laughs) We, this is my kids, they would want... Would y'all want candy and chocolate for every meal? Yeah, cotton candy probably. Hudson's like, no, I'm mature enough. I'd want my green beans that I didn't eat last night. No, you wouldn't. I have to make you sit at the table and eat that sort of stuff. Why do I do that? Because I know it's good for them. I know it's what they need to grow and what they need to mature. They don't get everything they ask for. If they did, it would be bad for them. Our house would be burned down and... A couple of limbs would be missing on them right now. You know better as a parent. And you, even in your fallenness, love your child and have enough wisdom to know what's best for them, even when their asking is in their finite ability to see the little bit that they can see. You know what they really need, and you give to them what they really need. You realize Jesus is saying here, our God is a heavenly Father who is better than any earthly father. We can do that even in our sinfulness, even in our selfishness, even in our evilness. We have the capacity of showing that kind of care and that sort of heart to our children. How much more so does God, our heavenly Father, He is a Father that is better than our earthly Father. And notice also, He's a Father that always does what is good. Your Father in heaven will give good things to those who ask Him. That even when we, even when we feel they're bad, and in a way they are bad. I mean, truly they are bad. It's not even in a way that they that they were bad. They are bad, even when the bad things come. To realize God is working good things in them and through them. That even in the bad of Jesus Christ being crucified, of the crowd crying out. Crucify Him, crucify Him, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And as they nailed Christ to a cross and as they crucified Him and put that crown of thorns upon His head and mocked Him and spat upon Him and as He died there, even in the most wicked, atrocious act that humanity could ever commit, was God not working good? 
working redemption. He was working eternal good, eternal salvation. And that is our utmost example of God at work in the midst of our suffering. Romans chapter 8 has become my favorite chapter in all the Bible. It is so full, full of deep, deep truth. The entirety of the chapter. But I want to point you to Romans 8.28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things, the things that we delight in and understand and see the blessing of God in, and also the things that we don't. Also the sufferings and the trials and the the parts of life, the seasons of life that we would rather not go through, that are bad, that are a result of this fallen, broken world, to realize our God is so good and so great and so mighty and so powerful that He resurrects even the sufferings of our life to work in them for eternal glories. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. This is where we mess up. God is at work in and through everything to conform us to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren, moreover, whom He predestined, those He also called, whom He called, He also justified, those whom He justified, these He also glorified. You see, we, we go astray when we think God is God in order to make us happy. Isn't that what God wants? God wants us to be happy. And it makes me happy to leave my wife and run off with this other woman. And I've had somebody tell me in that instance, God wants me to be happy, doesn't He? No! He doesn't want you to be happy in your sin and in your wickedness and in your immorality that leads to eternal damnation. He wants you to be holy. He wants to work in your life to to make you more like Christ to make you more like Jesus, to make you more like the one who endured the the crucifixion of Calvary for the glory of God and for the salvation of sinners. That's what God's at work at in your heart and in your life. Begin to see the sufferings of this life in a greater light when you come to understand this great truth. All things work together for good because in all things, even our greatest sorrows, God is at work to make us like Christ, to make us holy. And He's going to get us there those whom He foreknew, He called, He's justified, He will glorify. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is who is to condemn. It is Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? The love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things, all of these temporal sufferings, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't have to get all anxious and worried and fretting about 
the needs of our life or the sufferings that we're going through, in the midst of all of that, we can seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and know that God is going to provide for all of our needs, that even in our darkest moment, even in our greatest suffering, God is at work, that He only gives good things. Now, you don't believe that and cling to that by sight. That's called walking by faith. A true faith, not a a faith in faith, not a faith that if our faith is strong enough, we can manipulate God to do what we think is best, but a genuine, strong faith in the Lord, a deep-seated, a deep-rooted faith that says, God, even when you don't do what I think you ought to do, I know you're God, and I know you're good, and I know you do what is best, and so I'll trust you, I'll serve you, I'll follow you. Verse 20. A weird transition. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. What? God, you're talking about my asking and and seeking and and knocking and and looking to you as a good father. What in the world does that have to do with, with treating others as I would want them to treat me? The word therefore is there. What's therefore, therefore? It's connecting the thought here. It's flowing from the thought that comes prior. This is is flowing out of Jesus' words that God is a good Father who gives to His children what they need, who always gives good gifts. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Such a strong summary statement there. This is what the law and the prophets, what the entirety of the Old Testament Word of God is all ultimately about. What does this golden rule have to do with prayer and with God being a good father to His children? Here it is. When you are trusting in your Heavenly Father rightly, when you're rightly asking and seeking and knocking and trusting even in the sufferings of life, even in the seasons of life where God is not answering your prayer in the way that you think He ought to answer His prayer, but you are in humility and dependence and in faith and trusting that God is God and God is good, and you're, you're walking through even hard times in faith, walking by faith, trusting the Lord, that when you are in that place, that when you are in that spiritual state, it is then, and it's only then, that you truly can love your neighbor as yourself. It's then that you're fully equipped by the grace of God that you are standing in, by the the mercy of God that you are sustained by, that you truly can, can be selfless. That you truly can know, I don't have to overcome that person to get what I want. I don't have to manipulate that person to get my needs. I don't have to do this to them in order to get something from them. I truly am am sustained by Christ. I I am at rest in Him. I am fulfilled by Him. He is at work supplying my every need. I, I now can rightly love other people and truly, sacrificially, love one another. You realize your Heavenly Father will take care of you. It, it, it opens up your heart to truly serve, to truly shine. As Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He, he says this, this, this is the law and the prophets, that if you get this, you've really got the gist of the entirety of the law, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The culmination of your faith is not merely knowing God, but it's loving others and leading them to know God. If you take notes, write that down. The culmination of your faith is not just knowing God, but it is loving others and leading them to know God. You realize that's the progression that this is pointing us to, that we so often in our Christian life pursue God and seek God in a way that is self-fulfilling, that is self-exalting, that is for ourselves, for our family, for us and us alone. And God in the Word of God over and over again makes us realize, no, that's not the right pursuit of God. Those sorts of people that are, are seeking God only for themselves ultimately don't know much about God. I met an older man before who, in arrogance, has told me, you know, I've known God from before you were alive. And, and it, I, I look at his life and there's no fruit of mercy, of love of mercy, of love of others. And I look at that and I say, yeah, you, you might have known a lot about God for a long while, but I don't know that you know him. Because if there is no love of the brethren in your heart, then God says you don't know him. You don't love one another. It's an evidence you don't love God, because if you truly love God and know God, you know His heart for the nations, His heart for the, the people around you even, and, and His heart flows through you. The culmination of your faith is not merely knowing God, but loving others and leading them to know God. And so you're asking, and you're seeking, and you're knocking, and you're trusting. It is not meant to lead you to get everything you've ever wanted in this life as God, as if God is this cosmic slot machine, that you just go to Him and you, you pull the lever and you get what you want. And all your dreams, all your wishes, all your desires are fulfilled every time you, you say a prayer. No, 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 no. You're, you're asking, and you're seeking, and you're knocking, and you're trusting are ultimately meant to, to make you shine especially in the seasons of life where you're not getting what you're wanting, where you're not going through a time of blessing and a season of prosperity, but just the opposite. We're called to have this sort of, a sort of faith that is other-focused, others-focused, that, 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 that realizes the culmination of all that I'm doing in pursuing God is so that I can shine before a lost and dying world that needs to see the love of God and needs to experience the grace of God also. Many of you have heard the story, the situation of the, the young lady, the teenage girl that got struck by lightning in Palatka um, just a week and a half ago. Um, her and her father were hunting a, in a blind, and uh, just a ground blind, and lightning struck, knocked them both unconscious, and he survived, and she did not. And I hope you saw last Sunday that father got up before a gymnasium filled with people. And he opened up his Bible and he read even from the Sermon on the Mount that we've been looking to. And he shared how God is good even when life isn't. How God is at work even through our sufferings for eternal purposes, for His eternal glory and our eternal good. And he evidenced a faith, a faith that was so strong and so powerful in His asking and seeking and knocking and trusting that the, the light shone and hundreds, literally hundreds, have come to faith in Christ because of it. 
Don't look to this passage and this teaching thinking that God is a genie who grants you every wish. That's not what God is leading us to do. He's saying you ask, and as you ask, you seek, and as you seek, you knock, but then as you knock, you trust, and as you trust, you shine. You, you let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Heavenly Father, we come to you and I pray you would take your word and convict. I pray you would take your word and rebuke and instruct correct. Lord, lead us to be more like Christ in our praying and our living. Lord, if there's one here who does not know Christ as Lord and as Savior, I pray they would come even now to see their need of salvation, that they're a sinner, a sinner that can't save themselves. And that's why you gave Jesus to die upon that cross. He was crucified for our sins, buried and raised again, and he and he alone can forgive sins and get eternal life. Anyone in here who's come this morning thinking they can earn it, thinking that this even attendance at church would somehow add to their credit and get them justified someday, I pray that they see the error of that thinking, that they see the beauty of Christ crucified, the beauty of your gospel, what you've done for us in your love and grace and mercy, that they turn with them to lead upon him this morning. Lord, work, I pray, sanctify your people, save